I get a lot of money for you, and that make you my bitch. Take a seat and rip open those trapper keepers. I am Chris, a horrible professor. Here with my cohort, Mr. Hootie. What's up, fellas? Excited to take my decks today for some gruesome content. That we shall. And my big brother, Mr. Nasty himself, Joseph. What's up, guys and gals? I hope everyone had an awesome, razor bladeless Halloween full of sneaker. Today's assignment. Fortunately or not, 2005's Hostel, The Lesson. Maybe don't assume everyone loves an American boy. I would say that's pretty good for anybody traveling abroad. I don't think other countries really like Americans. So I've definitely for got probably that, good reason. definitely got that vibe. Thank you, Eli Roth. All right, we got a, a couple of fan reviews here. Uh, got a one-star IMDb review titled Stay Away. By DGV1013, back in February of 2006. This movie was such a waste of my time and money. I have always loved horror movies and thrillers, but this was just stupid. Quentin Tarantino is nothing more than a perverted man. He has to have nudity and drugs in just about every movie he creates. People can say he had nothing to do with it, but he was part of the creation of this movie. The first hour was nothing but nudity, sex, and drugs. Second hour was just blood. This movie was absolutely horrible. The worst movie I have ever seen, and I mean literally. Dude, where's my car? Ranks higher on my list than Hostel. I should have chosen Fun with Dick and Jane. Then I would have at least gotten my money's worth and a laugh. So apparently this movie came out right around when Fun with Dick and Jane... Uh, it's a Jim Carrey, it's like Jim not funny movie. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Of, there was a lot of fucking reviews that said they should have went and saw uh, the fucking. They must have opened like instead. side by side, I guess. Why are they yeah. throwing shade at uh, Ashton Kutcher? I don't appreciate that either. I know, right? I fucking loved that movie. I thought it was so funny. I wish to watch. I don't know if Fun Dick and Chang was that great of a film. I mean, talking about dude, where's my car? I'm talking about dude, where's my car? I've never seen that other shit. That was a VHS. Was that a VHS? I guess it was. We st- no. We still rock with VHS then. I think I had a VHS no. copy. 2005? I think we that came out in like 03. Chris. 2005 it was, was right what? There. Xbox 360 and shit like that? It was right there at the turning point. That was I DVDs, know. I think. Pretty sure I watched that on VHS a lot. And in contrast, we got a 10-star IMDb review titled, Hostile Goers Beware. By Bob Gepson, hyphen one, dash one. Just so we know, this is like the first version. Like there's a dash two, dash three, dash four. Uh, this Maybe was in May this of, the first uh, iteration. May of 2006. This was an excellent movie. Anyone who says different either has a poor imagination or lacks the capacity of fear. Having traveled a lot when I was younger and not for one second thought I was ever in any danger. This film is the nightmare of parents everywhere. The flick doesn't take itself too seriously, and as far as I'm concerned, beautiful women in any medium are always welcome, though they do mm-hmm. form part of the honeypot trap plot. Don't take your last to watch this, or get it out for or get it out for a family viewing. Is he talking mm-hmm. about his dick? I was going to say, that sounds like genitalia. Do get some beers, lower the lights, and watch it on your own after you've booked a holiday to Europe. It's what I did. Just drinking beer in the dark and watching a horror movie. Nothing like it, man. It's a hell of a Tuesday night, Steve. Or Bob. All right, let's uh, let's get to the uh, meat in this meat and potatoes uh, salad. Let's talk about the director. Who directed this? Written and directed by Jack of All Trades. Actor, writer, director, producer. Even did some animation work uh, in the past. You love him, you hate him, but most of all, you envy him. Eli Roth! Your love for this man is just... 
wild to me. Cabin the Fever, Jew, The man. Green Inferno, Hostel Part 2, and the Borderlands movie soon to be released. So, Chris, why do you hate this horror savant so much? I say his, uh, his greatest contribution to cinema was acting in a Quentin Tarantino movie. The Bear Jew, that's a great the character. The Bear Jew. I will say I've reassessed him upon this viewing, so... It's so funny, I'll, like he's. I'll being, speak to my overall feelings He's been later. anointed by like several like. That's like, I think what annoyed me about him in the in the horror space. Like I think Stephen King likes the guy. Obviously, Quentin Tarantino likes the guy. Um, they said he was the future of horror after <laughs> Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever was great, man. I don't know why everybody like. Uh, it was so many fine. That talk shit about that fucking movie. I love that. It was movie. fine, but he got like the whole red carpet treatment that. Like later on, like Ari Aster just got this a few years ago, understandably. And like I've seen, like legitimately good people come out of the horror industry, and he's just—he was not a wonder kid. And that's just kind of how they presented him. He was the first one of those that I recall, at least when I was a teenager. He comes across to me as a guy who's really good in a room with other people, as far as like selling himself. Oh, he's super charismatic. Yeah, he's definitely. Yeah. Like I said I think that's what makes him. He's probably the best. Let's think about this. Directors who act. At least in the horror genre, he's probably the probably best He's not better than Mel director. Gibson, Chris. All right. Ever. Let's not talk about Mel Gibson as a director. Don't you ever besmirch the name of Mr. But it's, Gibson. it's rare for you to see a director Mad who's a legitimate there, character actor. Tom Hardy's Mad Max, but I don't uh, Sorry, but no. Tom Hardy made the bed, best Mad Tina Max Tina Turner movie, was so. in his... You were out of your fucking mind Tina right Turner now. Tina Turner and You sure road is not Mel better Gibson, than... Get out of here. Bro. Come on. Come at me, dog. Fury Road is better than Road Warrior? <laughs> yes, it is. Or Mad Max. I, I'll give you Thunderdome. Everybody will yeah, give you Thunderdome. Thunderdome's yeah. fucking trash. I really like Road Warrior. I didn't care for Mad Max. I didn't get it. Just walk away. You could put it into all of this. Just walk Toe away. Cutter. It was too, too Australian for me, man. I just didn't get it. Too Australian. Well, shout out to Australian listeners. This guy fucking hates Fury you. Fury Road is fantastic. You've contributed one of the greatest movies ever made. We appreciate you. All right, and since this is such a uh, gore-filled, uh, especially latter half of the movie, I wanted to give a uh, special shout out to special uh, makeup effects, uh, designs, and credit by credit by credits uh, as they go to Greg Nicotero once again and Howard Berger. Uh, both working on quite a few movies we've discussed over the past year. Um, yeah, they uh, a big part of why I enjoyed this movie uh, when I was younger was the gore effects. So yeah, props to those guys. I'll be excited for when we watch a newer horror film that doesn't have Greg Nicotero attached to it. <laughs> I'm more shocked when he's not listed as the guy at this point. This film knocked out the Chronicles of Narnia out of the number one spot at the box office, which I thought Look was fascinating. At that. Is this the first one, The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe? Yes. The production budget of that film was 50 times that of Hostel, coming in at $4 million. Wow. Hostel was wow. $4 million? And it, and it uh, earned $20 million its opening weekend alone. So one thing horror and horror can do for the industry, man, they can almost always turn a profit. Another note that I had, which I wanted to do some research on, because this this film really created something in the 21st century that others took on themselves was some of it was a part of the horror subgenre known as splatter film, a term coined by George A. Romero to describe 1978's Dawn of the Dead. However, critic David Edelston labeled this film torture porn, thus coining the term used for splatter films in the 21st century. Torture porn was then retroactively applied to earlier films like Saw. Saw, right. Because this was the year after Saw, the first one, right? Yeah, 04 was the first Saw. Yes, I think the critiques I heard around it were essentially it was cashing in on all the money Saw had made the year before by delving into the torture porn, which I feel like has been part of the lexicon of pop culture ever since as you said it was coined I guess in 2005 my question for you two is why is splatter film so loved 
you know, the, the George Romero was with Dawn of the Dead and the ones that went after that. But torture porn is hated by almost anybody who, who talks about it. Nobody ever says, oh, I love torture porn films. Joey probably does, but oh, yeah, most people don't. Shit. Oh, yeah, he's got to get it tattooed on his face, just like Post Malone. <laughs> torture porn. I think if I had to, to guess, it would be that stuff back in the 70s you're talking about, splatter film. Did you say splatter film? Yes, splatter film. Is less realistic. Maybe that's why it's uh, not as... You're talking about Tom Savini's like gray and blue faces, right? Yeah, it's like more, um, like I don't want to say cartoonish, but it's less. It feels less real almost. It's like you're watching a, a stage production of someone, you know, with the super red blood. I think about Suspiria and stuff like that. You know, um, yeah. it's like a disconnection from reality as opposed to the stuff you see in these movies and like the Saw movies is pretty freaking real looking. You know, it's like it makes me cringe more than any kind of like. I don't know any kind of injuries somebody sustaining in some of those like older exploitation type movies. Yeah, because in, the, in, that, in those films they had limitations, so you didn't always see the super graphic stuff. Right. In this film, it just goes full throttle. Yeah, they can literally zoom in on someone's like a tendon getting cut or snapping, and it looks exactly like it would happen. I guess I recoil more watching this than I would against, like I said, some of the cheesier effects. I think people's sensibilities have changed. Like people are much more sensitive to like violence in in uh, or overly done violence, I guess, in modern cinema. Just as much as they're much more sensitive to like um, just uh, like social uh, social indignities and such. You know, I think it's the same same thing. I think it may have been also attributed to like the wave of serial killers we had in like the real world in America in like the eighties and early nineties. It's kind of the peak of all that, you know. Yeah. Like this stuff began began to feel real because it was really happening. Jeffrey Dahmer was eating people. Speaking of Jeffrey Dahmer, I recently went to the North Carolina State Fair. Yes. Just this past weekend. Was he there? There was there was a haunted ride there. You know, like the pop up haunted ride. Yeah, yeah. A car and it goes through there. There was a picture on the front of the building, like before you get on the ride, of like all these horror, like Pennywise and, you know, normal people. There was this whole Good section folk. of BTK, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Ted Bundy painted on like the side beside Michael oh Myers God. and Pennywise. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, man. It's like they're bridging that gap between like these horror franchises and the idol tree of these real world sick people. That's kind of fucking disturbing for me. Yeah, I got a little un- unsettled Like the there. series on Netflix now. It's like, it's based on a real story. It really happened. It's a real man. But when you make it a 10-hour miniseries like that and somebody's portraying him, it kind of becomes like a movie character in a way. It's, it's different. Yeah. It's different times, man. Some real, that's the real issue there for me. Yeah, because I mean, if a guy walks around with, like you said, a Pennywise tattoo, you're like, oh, this guy loves horror movies. He's got a Jeffrey Dahmer tattoo. It's a little, a little different. A little different expectation. Maybe step away from that man. <laughs> so I also got a few notes to throw out here as well. A few factoids. Um, the film itself was shot almost entirely in the Czech Republic, despite being set in Amsterdam, Bratislava, and Slovakia, as many Slavic reviewers like to remind us. There's a lot of uh, a lot of reviewers from Slovakia that are like. Very upset by the way um, the way Hostel paints their country as like some dilapidated fucking murder murder for pay murder capital of Eastern yeah. European. It looks like a third world country. Yeah, I mean he shot it in a way definitely where it appears like there's no sense of law or order in this place. Everywhere they go is just more and more decrepit than the next until you get to the finale, which is. Literally looks like Chernobyl or some shit, you know. Uh, right back when it also came out, nominated for Best Horror Film by the Saturn Awards, but lost Saturn. out to the critically acclaimed cult classic, The Descent. The Descent is a banger. I'll take The Descent over this, no offense. Yeah, we'll cover that in time for sure. Um, over 150 gallons of blood were used in the making of Hostel. 150 gallons. 150 gallons. Eat your heart out, Evil Dead. 
What was Evil Dead's number? We remember? I have no idea. I don't think we had a number. Imagine like, shitload, I man. guess imagine like 20 of the fucking uh, Kool-Aid man just lined up, filled to the brim with blood, just poured out. <laughs> what about the shining elevator scene? That's probably like 100 gallons into itself. Oh, that had to be massive. A lot of people who don't enjoy this movie that much and question how it spawned two sequels. Uh, here's your answer. On a $4 million budget, this movie grossed $82 million. That's a lot of moon nay. Yeah. I, yeah that's, so that's cl- a, that's a little a, bit over a 20, 20 times uh, return. I, I guess that'll, uh, that'll make, keep a, you working. make a sequel uh, definitely a possibility. All right. With all that stuff uh, wrapped up, let's hop into the actual movie itself. What'd you go for, local? What, European? American. An American. Ain't that a bitch. Big spender. I fucking, I love it. I just fucking love that shit. You know what they got for me? They told me they lined up something real special. I got a little uh, note here that starts out. The movie, the movie literally starts out with Quentin Tarantino Presents... Uh, yeah, they had to slap that on how, there, right? How bad does that bother you, Chris, knowing your idol he, loves Eli Roth? He caught Eli, watched Cabin Fever, and said, this is the future of horror. I just don't know I mean, how. Cabin Fever was okay. How do you step into that, you know? Because, like, Tarantino was one of his idols, too. Like, of all the people that are going to see your movie and say you're the guy, had to be Tarantino. She did this for a few people in, like, the 05 to 2010 range. I don't know what, exactly why. I guess he was just really into promoting other people. He seems to have not done as much over the last couple of years. American Backpackers and College Pals Paxton, played by Jay Hernandez of uh, Suicide Squad, uh, the shitty one, played the role of Diablo, as well as a role mm. in uh, Quarantine, which you've talked about That's a little bit. That's what I remember him from. And uh, Friday Night Lights. Uh, Who is he in Quarantine? He's, He's like the, like the main, main firefighter. Fireman. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. He's so the, what was the guy's name we liked? Pablo. I can't even recall from record. No, Pablo shit. was the cameraman. Pablo was the cameraman. Yeah. The bald, the bald fireman. Yeah. He so was that guy. Did. He was the comp for that guy. All right. That's Paxton and uh, his buddy Josh, played by Derek Richardson. And I have a note here that says who with a bunch of question marks behind it. I was super confused watching this guy on screen for the first hour as to who this man was and why he seemed to be the main character. Can you think of two worse names for your protagonist? Josh and Paxton. <laughs> it just did not. Uh, those actually just sound super American. It just did not ring as like red-blooded American boys to me, you know. I don't know. That sounds Yeah, Paxton doesn't American. to me. I've never met a Paxton. So backpackers Paxton and Josh are joined by uh, joined by their third musketeer in this journey, uh, an Icelandic drifter named Ollie. The three of them are vacationing in Amsterdam, making their way across Europe. Fun little tidbit here: the character Ollie was actually written based on the man who played the character, I Thor Gunjensen, uh, a truly unique individual who Eli Roth met while doing press for Cabin Fever in Iceland in 2002. Did he have his dick and balls out the whole time like he does in this movie? Oh, apparently this dude is like a, a fucking, like, he's a, like, he's super accomplished. He's like a, a championship uh, handball player. He owns, like, a Little Caesars. I looked up a bunch of shit about this guy, man. A Little Caesars Look pizza. This dude. Yeah, this dude is, like, super, like. In Iceland. He's, like, he, his, his character is written um, similar to his actual he's just himself. life persona. Yeah. He's banging chicks in the bathroom. Well, he's just, just let him cook, charismatic, man. Super charismatic and, and just over the top. But yeah, apparently Ollie didn't Eli have any Roth, lines. Just like, put the camera on it. Yeah, Eli Roth fell in love with the guy. Um, so after a day of heavy drug use and a long night trying to court some ladies, the trio find themselves out past curfew and thus locked out of their hostel. A local named Alexi, played by Lubomir Bukavi. Invites them up to his flat. After some introductions and some talk of Sneeper, 
Alex points the trio towards their goal. Pussy! If you want the pussy, you gotta head east, my friends, to Slovakia. Okay, we gotta stop right here, because I have a lot of notes on what is I got a lot of questions about this pussy. I don't understand why these three dudes in, in supposedly Amsterdam are this horned up. These dudes that they're going to get on a train slaying some puss. I understand this is a whole other level of being horned up, dude. I'm gonna get on a train. It was a lot and I go agree. somewhere. Yeah, this is like rebound pussy, but this is where your age shows itself. Like you was like eight years old or some shit back in 2005. <laughs> you wasn't a teenager. You didn't 13, know. You yeah. didn't know like how horny a these kids with the POF man. They don't know. There ain't no yeah. You there to no drive across town. With no fucking Tinder and shit. You had to go to Europe to get a piece of pussy. You're already in Amsterdam, like the sex yeah, capital of the planet. Especially when you're trying to get I'm a sure broken some, heart. I'm sure there are some fire sales in Amsterdam they could take advantage of. Thirty minutes only. You know, I mean, you know, it might it, it it might be generic coke, but you know. They were willing to travel into uncharted waters. I'm not sure. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna fail the geography test here. But that is a long way to travel for these. What did the guy say when he was showing him the pictures? Which is really another super freaking awkward aspect of this. Damn, is all the flip ass. phone photography that they share. Yeah. <laughs> Look hey, at these. He's like, we got this one. Man, we hadn't fucking come without the, the 20 <laughs> megapixels. We had like the 0.5 megapixel, and that was like. Big dick stuff. They're all like squinting you at the last phone, like, point, "Yeah, we're gonna go fuck those girls." Megapixel. It was, uh, it was, it was hot. The whole concept, because for one, if the audience hasn't seen this movie yet, the dude is a pretty gross-looking dude, and he's like this one town by train ride is just full of American women, just like packed to the brink. Like how you say just train ride. I actually got interested, and I did a little bit of like geography search. For how far it was to Bratislava from where they were, oh good, that across the continent, shit, isn't it? That shit was like across across fucking Europe, like it was. Yeah, so you know what, Amsterdam all the way to basically Russia, right? Yeah, that's a long ass way, man. And they literally probably passed millions of just attractive, nice ladies on that train ride from there. there. Probably American. I know, I mean, this is, again, probably a dated thing. I don't know if this is intentional. I feel like having watched the movie, it may have been. But these dudes are some, have some pretty anti-gay <laughs> slang to throw about when they discuss anything in relation to one another here. It seems like that was intentional. At first, I thought it was just lame, stupid 2005 dialogue. But later on, I think it may be a plot element. Did anybody else pick up on that? Oh, yeah. Eventually, I think we all kind of come to the conclusion that Josh is a closeted homosexual. Yeah. This was very subtle. For this, for a movie that's not keen on subtlety, I feel like that was a nice bit of subtlety. There. But, these dudes are very again, shitty too, friends, it, if that's like the case. Like you said, it was 2005. Like, it was a different, different way of talking back in. Was this before people started to change? Or oh, was this, was, yeah. was this an intentional, look how shitty these guys are to their buddy type of thing? The change you're talking about didn't even happen that long ago. It was like 2016. I know, man. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to get your... It's hard to rewire your brain like that, though. Are you talking about locker room talk? Huge locker room talk, Chris? Jocular talk. When I said grab it by the pussy, it was a jocular conversation. When I was there, I had my jock strap on my shoulder, my big fat schlong hanging out. Circumcised. Circumcised. Just like an American should be. With their next destination decided, the Tres Amigos board a train bound for the pussy kingdom of Bratislava. After some thigh fondling of Josh by a random European dude on said train, and a depressing taxi ride with an actually drunk taxi driver uh, that takes them by some of the uh, beautiful plastic factories of Slovakia, the three finally arrive in a picturesque town. Inside their sweet hostel, they meet their roommates, a couple of Euro hotties, Natalia and Svetlana, played by, and I'm going to butcher these names, Barbara 
Neta Hakova of Shanghai Knights fame, and Jana Katarabukakova, respectively. Jesus. Later that night, the fast friend quintet dance awkwardly to Slovenian or Slovakian, excuse me, uh, hair metal from the late 80s. Taking the party to the next level, the girls ply the guys with some molly. Overwhelmed by all the feminine attention, Josh reverts back to his beta cook ways and heads outside for some quote-unquote fresh air. Josh hits his inhaler, filling his pathetic weak lungs with that sweet, sweet albuterol, just as a gang of preteens approach, demanding money and cigarettes while brandishing pipes and broken bottles. Before the ankle biters can exact their toll, a familiar voice draws their attention and pays them off. It's the Dutch business, businessman from earlier that groped Josh, and he's here for that other thigh. Josh, feeling thankful, offers to buy his savior a drink and apologize for his freak out back on the train. So, on the train, this creepy dude, the businessman. The Dutch The way he eats, the Dutch businessman, the way he eats his salad with his hands freaked me out. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting character touch, considering... Oh. It's, I guess, a foreshadowing in a way. It just made you know he's kind of a, a obscure, kind of a weird fucker who's never truly named in the movie but does make these reappearances, which the reappearances of these characters kind of became tropey for me after a bit. Did you guys feel that way too? Maybe you've already seen this. You already had this exposure, but I feel like every character I was destined to meet again in 20 minutes, you know? The only one I noticed was the businessman, the Dutch businessman. Did you meet all of them before? No, I guess we'll circle back to it as they arrive. But uh, a question, okay. another question I had about the businessman. So there's this businessman, um, and then there's the kid who kind of sent them on this journey. Right? What was it Alexi? Was that his name? So it's all yeah. this shit stuff just happening. And is this all just happenstance? Have they run into each other? Yeah, like is it, is it just bad luck that they're running into well, all these people? I don't people think it's bad luck uh, that they run into the businessman. The businessman's headed to the same place they are. Yeah, so is this, I guess, is this a systematic, is this just, I thought, man, of all the people they're going to end up sitting with, though, this guy at this time going to this place. First red flag for me was how horned up these three dudes are to go travel across Europe. Smash. Second red flag. They get there. They walk into this room. This dude at the apartment said, full, and I quote, full of American women. The two women in the apartment are definitely not American <laughs> Did you say they were American women or that they love Americans? No, they, I think they said they love Americans. I okay. think he was specifying that they love American I mean, boys. I or they love foreigners. Yeah, they they love that accent. As soon as they hear okay. your voice, they're going to fuck you right there. They're going to fuck you. They're going to fuck you. <laughs> we should not have it either. He said as long it. as you're not from their country, as soon as they hear your voice, they're just going to fuck you. All you got to do is have a big old mole on your lip and they're going to fuck you just like they fucking me. <laughs> Yeah, they did highlight that pretty well, and then they referred to it later on. <laughs> he said that shit. The times he said that shit on his face. That's what great. Back at the hostel, things are getting sexy as fuck as Patton and Josh are getting it on with their new roommates, while mm-hmm. Ollie goes off to bang the hotel's receptionist. It's here in this scene with these lovely ladies that we get the number twenty-four entry in Mister Skin's favorite horror. Horror movie nude scenes. Bravo girls, well done. Yeah, they got number twenty four in his uh, in his favorite horror movie nude scenes. Oh, does he have like a top one hundred or something? Yeah, he's got like a top top fifty or some shit. Oh shit. Yeah. Uh, have 20, we seen any of the top ten yet in the podcast? That's the uh, yeah, I think uh, Reanimator, or we haven't seen Reanimator yet, but I think Reanimator is in like the top ten. Is it a dick and balls? No, some some titties on the table. Is it always women? Yeah, I don't I don't think Mr. Skin cares too much for like dudes foreskins. That's fucked up. That's not holes. fair. How about that? How you rude many good buttholes you seen on here's, this? Here's what it is. That's twenty twenty two talking right there. If it was two thousand five, I don't want to see no dudes dick. I mean, we can all agree that Kevin Bacon should be in the top ten for wild things. I'm just saying it's not a horror. Oh, movie. Yeah. So it's in its top horror movie. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Nice. So it's particularly this sex scene we're talking about with her. Oh yeah, sharing a room and kind of <laughs> both uh, riding men, kind of winking at each other while they're oh, doing it. That was pretty oh, sick. This is the scene, buddy. This is also kind of awkward to see your buddy laying there <laughs> with you, but 
<laughs> the two women were hot. This is also the scene that I infamously recorded illegally on his phone. I remember the theater this theater on my brand new Motorola Razor back in two thousand five. <laughs> Man, I was such a fucking rebel and a badass back then. I remember you trying to show me this on your phone, and the quality was so god awful. I was like, I don't even know what the fuck we're looking at, man. It was good enough for me. (laughs) Didn't you pay like three hundred dollars for that Motorola Razor? Three hundred dollars for that thing. That was back in the day, man. That was the premier cell phone. Do you think they're gonna let them fucking wrap me up in a plan where I pay twenty five percent interest? They go to hell. I remember, not to bring up another bad person, but R. Kelly had a razor in his "Trapped in the Closet" music videos. Ah, Jesus! He was recording the action right. from the closet. Well, he was, he was, he was on the phone during the whole song. I'm in the closet. I'm pissing on somebody. I'm raise out. You're not allowed to listen to his music anymore, apparently. Not that I. I still believe really that I can fly, fellas. Just saying that. The Americans wake the next morning, blissful and indebted to Alexi for his recommendation. Ollie's bed, however, is empty. Down at reception, someone who could be described as an even more incel-looking Paul Dano informs the boys that their Icelandic comrade checked out that very morning. Outside, a young Asian woman approaches the confused duo, showing them a picture on her phone. The picture <laughs> that of Ollie and her friend posing in front of a smokestack with the caption, Sayonara! That should crack me up. It just looked like the worst photograph. It looks like some fucking, it looks straight fucking Photoshop. Before yeah, Ollie's not even looking at the thing. camera. He's just. <laughs> See you later. It's like all broken English too. Like every every bit of text that we received from Ollie at this point. I don't, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but later on, uh, Paxton sees like a tree or something in that photo, and he's like, "Oh God, it's just, yeah, it's dude. fake." Once he started putting those clues <laughs> together, I was kind of lost. I was like, uh, "What the hell are we looking at here?" <laughs> the detective bits of the movie were lost on me, I guess I'll say. But I did crack up looking at this picture of him and this Asian lady. <laughs> in town, Josh and Paxton meander while trying to make sense of Ollie's disappearance. Walking through a tight alley, the guys are accosted by the little rascals from hell once more. Josh, now wise enough to know that these little shits are dangerous, pays them off, granting them reprieve from those rugrats. Just then, the two spot someone dressed like Ollie and take off in pursuit. Finally catching up to the man, they find that it isn't their friend, just someone with an eerily similar jacket. Almost too similar, like it's the exact same fucking jacket. As They're right really on. concerned that this man stole Ollie's jacket. I'm pretty I'm sure that this... Concerned. Whatever company made this jacket probably made more than one, you know, just to turn a profit. So. I think that I don't one... Like, I don't think it was that bad that this man had his jacket. That one know? had, like, a fucking Swedish flag or some bullshit or Icelandic flag or something. <laughs> and I think it actually said Ollie on, like, the cuff. <laughs> I didn't catch all that. So, yeah. If you look at the collar, property of Ollie. Last time seen... Oh, shit. And again, these little kids, this is kind of what I was talking about with like re- characters that would come back, you know. Oh, yeah. Like there was a payoff for every one of these people that we meet. For sure. I feel like a lot of people are recurring here. As if right on cue, Paxton receives a text from Ollie, a picture of his face with the message, I go home. <laughs> the person who sent that message, however, is not their friend. As we see Ollie's severed head resting on a table and his phone being pocketed by an apron-wearing man whistling a cheerful tune. The same man approaches a bound Japanese woman with bolt cutters in tow in a game of this little piggy in mind. In tow, you say? I mean, I get English may not be their first language, whoever this person is texting. You got that that shit I did in tow. That's pretty good. Sorry. But that text message was was, was pretty terrible. <laughs> I go home. <laughs> I go home. <laughs> well, uh, Ali's English was kind of... It wasn't the best, but damn, it was much more... Then it hooked on phonic shit. Was... <laughs> this is another product of having razors back in the day. We didn't have that spell check, kind of like they do oh, now. Oh, he's, he's using T9. He's using T9. You're lucky you got spaces in there at all. <laughs> Remember people used to be so happy about how quickly they could text on a T9? Like, I man, used to I drive a T9. Oh, 
God. Look, this All man right. was proud of this. Driving a T nine, baby. I can do this when I'm driving, man. Like that's a skill that it was entire. It's entirely lost <laughs> now. What do you do with that skill set now? Who? Out of damn thing, now you got to talk to text. This is now you got to like communicate easily and efficiently. It's so stupid, which requires no skill. Back in the day, if you wanted to dirty talk somebody, it was going to take about twenty minutes. <laughs> Back at the hostel, them boys are reunited with naughty Natalia and seductive Svetlana. And head out for the evening despite Josh's incessant need to shit on everybody's good time. After a few drinks, Josh is unable to maintain his composure and heads back to the room like the beta bitch he is and passes out, leaving Michael Pena's nephew Paxton with the ladies. <laughs> After some alcohol and dancing, Pax begins to feel woozy and somehow manages to get himself locked inside a storage room while in search of the bathroom. With a huge beer shit brewing, the young American passes out in a stupor. Josh wakes with a bag over his head and bound to a chair in his MEANDIES. A masked man with a rubber apron removes the blind and proceeds to drill a hole into the young fellow's thigh with a power tool, his screams echoing through damp, empty halls. Afterward, the mass torture reveals himself to be none other than the Dutch businessman who so favored Josh's thigh from before. I guess he just had to get himself a piece. So I wonder if it was that one they were trying to do with the drill. Like, this was his thigh. This was his property at oh, this, this point. Oh, this is like foreshadowing. Like, to the max. Going into this movie, I didn't have really any context of how the torture stuff worked. I know it was coming, of course. But I was under the assumption that this was like a single person that all these people are being tortured by. So the way the rest of this plays out was kind of new to me. Begging, pleading for his life. The timid American endures psychological torture in addition to the physical he's already suffering. With the Dutchman freeing him, but not before slicing through both of his victims' Achilles tendons with a scalpel. Josh falls to the floor, scratching and clawing towards an open door. Just a few feet from freedom, the businessman steps over the young man, pulling his head back and the scalpel across his throat, revealing that he is in fact paying cash money for the privilege to take his life. So this is when I got a little upset. I was like, my brother, a person who's supposed to love and protect me, knowing that I literally just had surgery on my Achilles tendon, knowing for a fact that this was going to happen in this fucking movie, Made me watch back. this. This was fucking hard to watch and disgusting at the same time. Well, I, I winced, I'll tell you that. I thought it was a little uh, on the nose, you know what I mean? It was rough, man. I was like, mm. I was, in my head, I was like, surely he's not going to try to walk. And oh, he did. He did. And they showed it. And it was, was, so this guy pays a large sum of money to do this to another human being. Yeah. And all he did was drill into his thigh, cut his Achilles. And that was it. And then slit his throat. Right. He paid all that money just to do that little amount of torture. Well, I think he, he came across as me as the type of guy who's done this before. Oh, yeah. At the, the beginning of the movie, it actually starts um, with... The person I, cleaning I, I, I up think the room. It's, I think it's actually him because he whistles like throughout the movie during his like killing scenes and shit. Yeah. I and the opening right. of the movie of somebody actually like cleaning up the kill room, It's I think it's him. Cause it's like a whistling, and I think it's just showing you, hey, this guy to this guy, it's nothing new, you know. Paxton wakes and is kicked out of the bar the next morning. Back at the hostel, there's some confusion with the room as he's told that he says he's checked out earlier that morning. Befuddled, he is given another room, and just like something out of the fucking Twilight Zone, runs into two hot European roommates in states of undressed, just as he did with Natalia and Svetlana earlier. Unable to find Josh, Paxton walks the grounds and sees a peculiar sight in the distance, the exact same smokestack that Ollie and the Asian girl posed in front of. Preoccupied with with staring at the phone, or at his phone, he's caught off guard by the stampede of tiny baby feet as the gang of children rush by, snatching his phone in the process. Unsure of where to turn, Paxton files a report with the local police who assure the American that his friend will turn up. And his best bet is to stay at the hostel in case they come looking. On the way back to his room, Paxton finds the OG Euro hottie Svetlana Natalia, who claimed they both 
that both Josh and Ollie are together at an art show. Paxton, now even more confused and worried, demands to be taken to this show, and Natalia obliges. Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny that as they're walking out, the two new women that were in the hostel, they even had this same bit of dialogue for him while he's walking in. So we're about to go to the spa. You should join us. To be a fly on the wall in that room. Oof. A car ride later, they arrive at a dilapidated factory, that familiar smokestack towering above. Outside sit several expensive cars surrounded by men of an obviously rough nature. We also get a little cameo over here by uh, Takashi Miket. I think I fucking butchered that last name. Takashi <laughs> Miket. Miket. Director Is this of the fellow uh, walking out with the sunglasses. Yeah, it's the, the Asian guy. He was the director of Audition. Um, oh, nice. And Ichi the Killer. Oh. Audition. I fucking love that movie. It's definitely high on the list of what I'm going to be picking here soon. Shout and what is that, Chris? What is that? It is torture porn. To- uh, Artistically yeah. done Artist- torture porn. Highbrow oh, torture porn. Highbrow, highbrow slow burn torture porn. Fucking elevated horror bullshit. You can torture porn me all you want. Just slow burn it. You can't front load it and then middle and back load it with torture porn. <laughs> if you if you were if you get me going for an hour and a half, hey, you talking about, about that build up and that release? This man. movie is fucking slow burn. I appreciate it more than I thought it would. The I first half of this movie plays like that movie Euro Trip. I forgot to mention it, but the the women are are very different now. Like the, Natalia looks like they look like they the spent homeless. some they money rough. on drugs. Yeah, yeah. They like they've rough. been getting high or something ever since they. Got off the clock. I almost feel like they start to look like more homely, like kind of showing that per maybe they're showing their actual like intentions and their personalities and shit that they're not as glamorous and uh, and wholesome as their intentions may seem. I think it's probably also reflective of how Paxton sees him now. He's kind of seeing through the facade of what all this stuff was and trying to see the. The ugliness, the reality of what people these people are doing in this situation. Hey, He's definitely not comfortable anymore. I'd still give it to both of them, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, shit. Yeah, I'd give them both a ride to the supermarket. What are you yeah, talking about? something like that. Paxton heads inside the factory with Natalia down a long, moist, empty corridor. We hear a familiar whistle. Drawn to the sound, Paxton peeps inside its room of origin and whimpers in horror at the sight of his friend Josh splayed out, his chest torn open and held in place by retractors, the Dutch businessman performing a faux surgical procedure on the cadaver's organs. From the darkness in the hallway emerges two burly men who drag the final survivor of the vacationing trio by room after room of tortures and mutilations in progress, eventually chaining him to a chair of his own and leaving him in darkness. I get that he wants to find Josh and their best buds and they, you know, love each other unconditionally. But the fact that he was so excited to walk into this building down a dark, wet hallway was, once again, what are we doing? Oh, uh, yeah, it was very unbelievable that this guy, I mean, Josh, yeah, it's his boy or whatever, but you're really putting yourself in a predicament by wholly trusting this person who's giving you drugs. And I guess. Well, she gave him a piece of ass, so it's like you kind <laughs> the of honey pot. connected. There's that honey pot. The honey pot. Here it is. I, Did he really think he was going to an art show? Is my ass wouldn't went there, even if I fucked this girl. I went, I'm not going into a damn sex dungeon or whatever the fuck it is. Art show be damn. I would. Chris. I mean, art maybe show I would. Be I damn. would take the ride there, give him a shout down the hallway, and roll out. All right, Josh, I'm, we're rolling out now, dog. If you come with me, let's go. Cause I'm out. <laughs> Cause yeah, it was super. Like I was, ex- I wasn't expecting him watching it because I've never seen this before. I didn't expect him to actually go th- all the way through this. Like I thought this was gonna be like one of those take a peek and run type of things. But this motherfucker goes all in from here. Kind of, it shocked me how quickly it got into it from here. The door opens after what seems like hours. One of the burly men and a balding German man in a rubber smock enter the torture room. Using Paxton's passport to confirm his nationality as American to the German, the burly leaves the torture. 
The burly leaves and the torture begins. Some clips with some sharp-ass scissors here. A couple of whacks with a garden cultivator there. All while Paxton pleads for mercy in both English and German. Fed up with all the whiny bitching, a ball gag is shoved in the young man's mouth, and the real fun begins. The scream of a chainsaw being spun up roars behind him, and Paxton is once again shitting his pants. He chokes on vomit behind his gag, and the German, not wanting this to be the end of his fun, removes the gag and uses the chainsaw to saw through the American's hand and cuffs, causing him to scream in pain and dislodge the bile in his lungs. Fucking savage. This shit was gross. It was hard to watch that. That was was tough. Satisfied with this result, the German paces forward quickly with the saw, ready to deliver another ragged gash as Paxton looks in disbelief at his mutilated hand. And what can only be described as some Scooby-Doo slip-on-a-banana-peel Jimmy from Halloween 2 shit, the German slips on the puke-covered ball gag, falling to the ground, the chainsaw finding its way into his leg and severing it. Pretty pretty reminiscent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He leather-faced it. He leather-faced the fuck out of that one, dude. Uh, Paxton sees his opportunity and takes it knocking himself over and free enough to grab a gun from a nearby torture tool table and putting one of his tor- putting one in his tormentor's noggin. Paxton calls to the guard down the hall in German, putting him down as well. Finding the keys on the muscly man's body, the backpacker frees himself at last and hides himself on a cart at the bottom of a pile of bodies bound for incineration. Also, a cool little note here: the uh, the killing floor scenes, like what we're seeing here now, were actually shot in a uh, deactivated ward of a mental hospital built in Prague back in nineteen nineteen ten. That sounds haunted and terrifying to be in. People actually lived in these little rooms. Well, I think they were fuck treated in these rooms. Imprisoned. So like, apparently, this was like the God, most savage motherfuckers. Is the ones they would put down here too, like the ones that were the most yeah, like have to be shit. Fucking wild. Yeah. This thing is, once he's, like I said, once he wakes up and kind of gets his bearings as to where he is, sort of, I mean, he's pretty much in hell, right? Yeah, this Literally whole, this got, whole go up to get out. Is, is a lot to digest. So, down in the most subterranean level of the murder factory, Paxton bludgeons the man tasked with burning the bodies and continues his escape, heading to the highest floor that the elevator will go. Dodging armed men, he finds refuge in a room not too different from that of a hostel. From a window in that same room, he spies the policeman from earlier laughing with the guards outside. Undeterred, the American dresses himself in clothes from the room, chatting with a fiendish gentleman who mistakes Paxton for a fellow spender. Maintaining the ruse, Paxton is able to escape into the parking lot, hands on the steering wheel when he hears an Asian woman screaming in agony. What do you do here? How well? <laughs> what the fuck? How well what do you, do you mean, know this you woman? Here? You've heard people screaming the entire time in this fucking murder know, facility, man. and you just now decide to go help somebody. Yeah. And how do you know that it's her? Yeah, that was my thing. I don't, think, like he, I a, don't think he knew. There's it was only her. one. one just, there's only one Asian woman in this country. So I, I gotta uh, go Mind boggling decision. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Like it's the it's the hero trope. It's what the good man does at the end of the movie. Um but logically, what this man just went through, I just think my ass would be getting out of town. That's the thing. You say it's like the the thing for the hero to do. This guy isn't the hero. I, kn- I know he's I, been I a piece of shit to this point and thing. not a person I, I that we like. Eli Roth is trying to turn it on his head and make him seem likable in this moment. Right. He's trying to show you that he has some work, humanity left. In my opinion. Facing all this inhumanity, he finds his own, I guess, is the, what we're trying to highlight here. Well, that did not come across at all. Uh, but, but but back to the locker room, uh, the guy he meets, the is, it, is, he, is he American? Is that, is that correct? I think so. I would assume he's American. Spoke perfect English, so I would yeah, assume. He seemed like somebody we should know, like an yeah. actor, but I, don't, I didn't recognize him. Hey, I, looked, I looked up his shit. He, he's not very recognizable. Uh, or he's not in anything I know of. I think he was in... Suits or some shit like that. A TV show. I was about to say television. Yeah, he's like a television guy. He was super funny. Oh God, I love this whole scene right here. He paid fifty k to be here to kill someone, 
and that women and sex just got old and he had to find a new hobby. But his dialogue, man, he cracked me up. I'm sure this was supposed to be played for laughs. As disgusting and foul mouthed as he was, it was it was quite it's like constant pulling of his gun was awesome. Yeah, he was like, Should I do it quick? No, I'm going fucking old school on this. <laughs> I was waiting for him to drop the pulp fiction line. This uh this character is actually kind of similar to a character from Hostile Two that we'll eventually get to. One day. Yeah, I wanted him to say, I'm going to go medieval on his ass, but yeah. he didn't. But as we see, he went medieval on somebody's it's ass. It's funny, it's funny. Oh, it's for funny sure. you fucking say what you just said, because I'm actually about to do something with it's that. Got, it's the Marcellus Wallace. Yeah, it's, like, it's really funny you're saying this. You pulled this from Tarantino directly. Yeah, There's no doubt it, about right? it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Unable to convince himself to leave, he returns to the torture ward, discovering his newfound big money faux friend going to work on the young Asian woman Kana, played by Jennifer Lim, from the hostel uh, with a pair of plies and a blowtorch. Her right eye dangling from a scorched socket. Paxton dumps the remaining rounds from his gun into the sadist and frees the girl, but not before removing her eye in an attempt to stop the pain. Several guards, now aware of Paxton's escape, Swarm the grounds, attempting to locate the injured duo who flee on a stolen car toward a train station. The cutting the highball off and the yellow pus squirting out. Yeah, it's man, not for me, man. So fucking good, bro. <laughs> this oh, shit is God. not for me. That's straight out of fucking, that's straight out of Evil Dead, man. <sighs> Evil Dead made it fun and campy and, you know, uh, it's not man, real. You take the camp out you make it look like it really happened. Is that what's supposed to... I don't even want to know, but as it was happening, I was like, is this what would happen if you did that? I loved it. With pursuers close behind, the lone survivors take off through a street. In a turn of true karma, Paxton runs into yet another set of friends from earlier, Natalia, Svetlana, and Alexei. And that's runs in both literally and metaphorically as he barrels into them with his car. Got that ass. Further... That and then the fucking car behind, like, totally flattens this bitch. It's over. She may yeah. have survived the first hit, but that second hit turned her into damn. Uh, I thought that was him turning around. Was that not him doing no, running no, back that over? Was, that was the fucking guards that were chasing him. Oh, I it think was, it is him. She, she was getting up, and she looked I up. I thought he did a Yui and came tire. back for her. <laughs> Either way, just desserts. There you go. Further down the road, we once again are stopped by the Rugrat gang who Paxton barters with to stop his pursuers and beat them to death with rocks and pipes. The damn kids, man. Dude, they, they was fucking clutch right here, though. Fucking bubblegum. As if this escape wasn't eventful enough, Paxton and his Asian companion run into a police checkpoint. Unable to go any further, the two abandon the car and make their way to the station on foot. Trying their best to remain undetected as the station itself is now swarmed with guards from the factory and corrupt policemen, the pair make their way ever closer to freedom. However, Kana sees her reflection for the first time since her mutilation, and unable to come to terms with her how her life would be uh, were she were she to survive, she instead decides to sacrifice herself, distracting her pursuers long enough or their pursuers long enough uh, for Paxton to hop aboard a train. She does this by throwing herself in front of a train. Could you imagine Paxton taking his time to save this woman, yeah. to cut her eyeball out of her skull, only for her to kill herself? Hey, save well, her life. That was yeah. That was a that was a means to an end though, because hell, it saved Paxton life for a life, you know. Yeah, and she ended up being a sacrificial lamb for him. But I'm sure that wasn't his intent when he tried to save her. At least that's not how it was portrayed to us. Yeah, this I, this was not as gruesome as I assumed it would be compared to the stuff we had seen to this point. Someone getting destroyed by a fast-moving train was not as bad as the slow-moving humanity that we saw. These disgusting people, men, chopping people up. Paxton, now aboard a train, finds someone on that very same train. The Dutchman from earlier. The thigh grabber. boy. The uh, failed surgeon. The, the failed, uh, failed dentist, excuse me. That damn Hermie. <laughs> we get to meet him again. He's eating salad with his fingers again. 
Ah, oh, the chicken and the oh, the lettuce. Oh. <laughs> At the next stop, Paxton follows the man into a bathroom, where he gives him a taste of his own medicine, hacking off a pair of his fingers with a scalpel, and slicing his throat, leaving him to bleed out face down in a toilet bowl. Paxton boards the train once again, with the rest of his eight-finger life ahead of him. Thus ends Eli Roth's Hostel. Alright, so I totally watched a different version, I guess. I didn't get that ending. I totally you watched a different the, version as well. Uh, you watched director's the uh, cut? director's cut. Oh. Now, if you want to, you can tell everybody what's different about the director's cut. So what I and saw tell was... You why it was changed in theaters. Same setup. Paxton follows the the Dutch businessman towards the bathroom and actually goes in there after him. And we stay on the businessman. He turns around. He sees the scalpel that Paxton was holding on the counter. And he had a little girl with him. Is the little girl not in the version you watched? Mm-mm. So he had his daughter with him, a daughter he had alluded to earlier in the movie. She went to the women's. He went to the men's. He comes out after seeing the scalpel. Goes into the women's. Can't find his daughter. And then we cut to Paxton on the train. He's kidnapped her. It's covering her mouth as they ride away. Presumably taking her away from him to fuck him over. And I assume to save her, to keep get her away from this madman. Which is a weird ending because you're kidnapping a child. Yeah, yeah it was one of those, like, we. I, I guess it probably didn't test well. That's probably why they switched it, it to the revenge, well I bet. at all. I bet the revenge one was more satisfying. I'm going to watch it on YouTube now. Yeah. Just it's, to see that motherfucker get his. The way he, he actually takes this guy out is pretty badass. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, so it's just straight revenge and then packs and leaves. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. Much more satisfying to, uh, you know, a general audience. Yeah. It was like a more, real other, psychological. The other is too fucking obscure because, like, There's like a lot no of the catharsis. audience was like, you know, what the hell is going to happen to this little girl? Yeah. yeah, like what the hell is Paxton getting himself into like now? Is yeah, that like a ransom movie, situation? You're trying to build Paxton up to be like a he's a, a redeeming himself as a human, you know, from being like a boastful, ignorant piece of shit. But then you have guess, the movie end with him kidnapping a child. That's uh, yeah, I kind of just tears all that, that was down. the ending. I assumed he was like rising above the violence they were committing to people and using full on psychological torture against this guy. That's the only part, the only thing he cared about was his kid, right? He mentioned that earlier in the movie. That wraps her up, boys. Uh, any memorabilia you want to take home from freaking Hostel? Uh, who do you want? The two fingers. Let me let me knock this out. Let me. Yeah, two fingers is pretty dope. Uh, the horned helmet that Paxton temporarily temporarily dons during his escape. That shit's badass. But don't call me. Just don't call me Genji Barathe. You know what I'm talking about? Are you? Oh, yeah. Get him, are you? I think we're all going to say the same well, shit. <laughs> everybody excited. It's the only piece of this whole fucking movie that somebody would want is that bull helmet mask <laughs> thing that Braxton wore. Yeah, I said the metal bull helmet because it just looked cool. It yeah. was very icon- icon- had some iconography to it. I thought it would be in more of the movie because for some reason in my head I had the image of it from somewhere. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of a prop for... 30 seconds and then dismissed on the ground. But it does look pretty fucking cool. It's a hell of a prop for the short amount of time that they actually used it. Yeah, so I was hoping he was going to like run around goring people and shit with it. That would have been cool. <laughs> All right, boys, it's time to punch in these letter grades. Who do you let you get us started since you didn't choose this bad boy? All right. So, 2005's Hostel is a movie that I watched when it came out with my mother, which was a terrible experience. So, uh, very, very awkward sitting for me when I first. Do you want some more popcorn? This film. Mom, what is yeah, what is Sneeper, Mom? What is Sneeper? <laughs> I mean, it was. Can we get more butter on the popcorn as the eye was gushing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was awkward. You know, the, the ladies just pulling their titties out, and I'm just, you know. Excuse what are me, those, man. Mom? What is that guy down there with the razor recording? <laughs> Um, but from what i remember i did not like this film but uh on on rewatch i was shocked i actually enjoyed it the gore was was a lot and it was hard to watch but i think it was just enough to where it was okay for my taste and i think it was a solid rewatch for me and with it i would give it a solid b 
Mm, Shocktober is in full effect. Shocktober's in full effect, baby. So I was dreading this movie, and I intentionally had held off from watching it until the last possible moment, which would have been last night. I don't dig torture porn or Eli Roth in general. However, as this podcast has done with me for several sub-genres, I have come around and found some craft behind the ugly facade. The setup here was not great. There were some bland-ass characters with some shitty motivations and some lazy-ass dialogue. But the idea behind is unique and terrifyingly possible enough to serve its brief runtime. We need more 90-minute movies in the world, people. The movie played with more restraint than I expected, honestly, particularly in relation to the gore. And for that, I hand Mr. Roth a C+. All right, I saw this movie as Hootie did uh, in theaters back in 2005, and I loved it. Same theater. As a, as a, I think I saw it in Brassfield. Is Brassfield still around? No, they officially closed this summer for good. Bored of that bastard. Heartbreaking. That bitch. But yeah, I, I, I once got terrible diarrhea from Brassville popcorn. Jesus. How the fuck you get that's probably all the butter you put on it. I don't know. It was rancid. <laughs> Eyeball butter. But yeah, I saw this movie in theaters back in 2005, uh, and I loved it. As a horny teen, titties and gore just spoke to me. Uh, revisiting the movie almost 20 years later, it doesn't quite hold up to the praise and admiration for my earlier years. While I do enjoy the horrifying premise, the gore, the atmosphere, the dark humor, the uh, American Werewolf in London style first half, these characters are just downright unlikable and make unbelievably bad decisions throughout. Uh, I mean, I guess I, that could be commentary on stereoty- stereotypical Americans in foreign places in general. But it just doesn't make for compelling cinema. Yeah, it's a decent enough twist having the brash, ignorant Paxton character as the lone survivor and kind of redeeming himself in the end with the theatrical uh, release anyway. Um, But being detached emotionally from these characters for a majority of the film for for so long into the movie, into the movie's runtime, it, it takes its toll. Um, in summary, Hostel is a grisly movie exploring the depravity of human nature chocked full of creepy, unsettling atmosphere with characters that make it hard to care one way or another about their grim ends. And that indifference, uh, it makes, it makes me, the indifference it makes me feel is, is a big reason I give 2005's Hostel a C. Damn. You don't do Did C+. Did you just say a C? It's a C movie. It's a C movie. All right, boys. Time to dust this bad boy off. You want to recap our fan scores from Rotten Tomatoes here? Joey, with the null guess as the picker, is not allowed to make a decision on the subsequent score. So just to recap here. No, sir. I went with a 40. Who do you want with a 52? The actual audience score is a 53. Holla at you, boy. So now for Hostel. So yeah, who do you uh you shall have the floor, sir? What shall we watch next? Let me bring up my list of possible candidates. Oh god, there's a list. Do we got a rock, so, paper, scissors or something? It's gonna be fucking Scooby Doo and Zombie Island or some shit. Yes, it'd be fucking. Oh, a complete Scooby Doo and the Globe Trotters, you know, tackle Dracula, whatever. Um is nineteen seventy nine's Alien a horror movie. Uh hundred percent. It's the it's the only one that is in the franchise. Then my pick is 1979's Alien. Oh man, really? Yeah, that's a uh, that's quite that's a, a uh, quite a task to tackle. You're going for the Pantheon at that point, man. All right, folks, I'm pulling up the trailer for Alien on YouTube. If you want to tag along, you can play it there as well. All right, here we go. Space. This is right after Star Wars. Look at this trailer. So exciting. Looks like space to me. I have such vague memories of this movie. Not the pie kind. Is that an egg? Looking at an egg. More crust. 
I think it's an egg, dog. I think it's a planet. Joy, what is this? It's an egg. Ah, damn it, it's an egg. It's a fucking egg, dog. It's like an ostrich egg. That's a big bastard. Is this Jurassic World? Is this the trailer? Blue! Oh, shit. There she is. Bouncing curls. Imagine this shit playing on your TV back in 79. I'd be fucking shitting myself. What's this new Somebody's movie? screaming right now in the trailer. Right there in the middle of Monday Night Football. What is this? <laughs> what the fuck? Pod people. They can't show anything, right? No, it's not going to show anything of any consequence. Is that Henry Dean Stanton? This is back when fucking uh, trailers had some restraint. Oh, I saw some panties. Random, random cat. Wham! Jesus fucking Christ. Look at all that happening right there. Look at that editing. We could stop all this now. That looks like a damn horror movie to me. In space. No, no one can, can hear you scream. scream. Now that's a, that's a tagline, brother. Tom Skerritt. This movie's so good. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is. John Hurt over here going to try to get my fucking wand, bro. This is a tough one. All right, Joy, you, it's just you and me. Who are you not eligible here? You want to venture a guess at what alien this is shit going to be stupid high. This is going to be like a 93. For people who view this as a horror movie, this is probably a top five, top ten. But people are, people are weird with sci-fi. I'm going to say 86. All righty, folks, thank you for listening. Check out the website, horriblefilmschool.com. Find us on all podcast platforms as well as links to all the social outlets. Give us a follow, leave a review, send us some European train tickets. I'm going to offer my support to women torn between sporting a monocle or an eye patch for the rest of time. You are beautiful. Eyeballs be damned. As always, if you are hearing our voices, tell at least one person you know. Spread the love. Spread the campaign. Come hang out with us on Instagram. Check out the merch store. All the stuff attached. And I'm going to go pull out my Ticket to Ride European Edition and get some PG fun in Europe instead of this torture porn bullshit. And I'm out. Thanks for the likes, follows, listens, shares. We appreciate your time and your attention, as always. Uh, join us for our next episode, where we discuss and discover 1979's Alien. See you in the next one. Class dismissed.